0: Today we're heading to Singapore to visit Po some. She hasn't always lived there though, far from it. Her story gave me instant itchy feet for traveling and even more than that, many flashbacks to my beginning years of teaching when I let parents run my studio. If you can relate, I think you'll appreciate Maypo's perspective. Welcome to the show. It's great to have you here. Thanks, Nicola. It's great to be here. We like to start with a little game, of course.
1: I want (laughs) you to tell
0: me two lies and one true thing about you, and I'll try to guess which one is true. Okay. I am
1: a qualified pastry chef. I used to dabble with the accordion, and I have...
0: Lived in four countries. Four countries. Pastry chef or accordion? I'm, I don't know why, but I'm ruling out the accordion. At the accordion. I just don't feel like you played an accordion. So I'm gonna say <laughs> the true one is that you've lived in four countries. Yes,
1: that is. Oh wait, am I spot? I think I do. I gave you two truths and one lie. Oh okay. Did no I worries. Mess up? <laughs> so I So is the accordion the lie then? That is the truth. I actually do have an accordion. It's sitting in a box um, under an old pile of books. I dabbled with it for like a few months and then stopped and I wish I hadn't. So now I'm really thinking about picking it back up but it's just such a cumbersome instrument. Like I'm, a, it's really big so that's why I kind of stopped. It. it was actually just not comfortable. <laughs>
0: oh that's really interesting. Yeah because I've I've always had it in my head that maybe I would start one day, but discomfort doesn't sound very appealing. Did you get? Is it a piano accordion? I'm assuming it is. A yeah, yeah, a piano
1: accordion. Yeah. So then I was just doing some reach. I was like, oh, there's some really cool like digital ones like that you can get now. So I was like, well, maybe I can invest in that and something that's lighter and like cooler and like a pick it back up. So and I just came back from a trip to France actually over Christmas, and of course there were people playing it on the subway. And I was like, we should pick that up. Yeah. <laughs> so we will see.
0: Or you could go in a totally different direction and go with a little concert team. but then it's cool. much harder for us to learn as pianists.
1: Yeah, so. it looks like a bunch of buttons on both sides and I don't think my right hand would coordinate that well. It's,
0: yeah, I, I find it difficult to wrap my head around that one.
1: Yeah. But <laughs> a very good guess. I have to do four countries and I'm not a pastry chef by any reasons.
0: Yeah, I kind of wish that one was true. But... <laughs> <laughs> Me too. It would be fun to have that piano and pastry studio, though.
1: It would be great, yeah, and I could bake amazing treats for all my stellar students who come over to learn. <laughs> Absolutely. So tell me the four countries you've lived in. Uh, so I was born in Hong Kong, and then I grew up in Australia, in Sydney. I worked a little bit in Switzerland, um, in Geneva, and then now I'm currently in Singapore. Yeah, okay, because I
0: knew you were in Singapore. I thought so. And yeah. And then I heard your accent when we got oh, on there. No. I was like, did you get
1: the <laughs> location wrong? But she's like. No, yeah. It's, uh, I've been in Singapore for about, gosh, I think almost seven years now. It really, it really creeps up on you. It's one of those things. I'll be here for two years and then whoop, time went by and here we still are. And yeah. So I mean, we're enjoying it here. Tropical living 24-7. I never have to worry about what to like wear, the weather. But it was actually nice to have a bit of a European winter to be honest. I mean, you can only sweat so much.
0: Yeah, yeah. I don't think I would do well in that in that climate <laughs> year round as an yeah. Irish person. But yeah. um, I did love visiting. I visited Singapore years ago now when I was a teenager. Once, I think it's briefly. changed a lot. Yeah. yeah.
1: It's constant like demolishing and building and the site like the skyline changes all the time. So
0: Okay, well it's great to get to know a bit about you personally.
1: Now we'd love to know
0: a bit more about your teaching style. So I want you to try and pick three words to describe your teaching. If it helps you, you can imagine that these are the three adjectives that would go on a poster about your teaching or something like that. three adjectives. Okay.
1: I think fun would be there for sure. Tailored. Yep. Fun, tailored and lifelong. Is that cheating? Is that one word? (laughs)
0: <laughs> that's one word it's not even hyphen <laughs> <laughs> I write a lot so I'm pretty sure it's one word unless I get that wrong
1: <laughs> yeah yeah I would say those three yeah okay so
0: fun is kind of self-explanatory yes tailored why did you choose
1: that word So with the way that I teach, obviously with every student, there are fundamentals and foundation stuff that, you know, I want to get across and make sure every student learns, particularly the little ones. And if they're absolute beginners, no lesson looks the same, actually, to my chagrin and frustration sometimes, to be honest, because it means a lot more work for me. but. There's always times in all my lessons with all my kids where it's really, you'd say student-led and student-driven. So it's kind of, okay, here's the stuff that me as a teacher want you to learn. But then they come to me with ideas about what they want to learn or what they're interested in. Or or like one of my students might bring along a Pokemon like toy over the like few lessons. and I'm like, okay, they love Pokemon. Hey, let's learn to play the Pokemon thing. So I would say it's tailored in that way because they really just learn a bunch of different things based on their own interests and where they are at. You know, I might have a six-year-old beginner who's, you know, in One piano safari, but they're starting to really want to play with both hands. So then we'll just muck around and do some two-handed, you know, pop or whatever it is that they, they know, because I see that they're, they're ready for it and they want it. So that's why.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting and lifelong As I say, I type it all the time because it's a goal for so many of us teachers. So I think everyone will be on board with that one. What was your own musical upbringing
1: like? What led you to become a lifelong musician? So I started, you know, I had to go back and look at my old books, which luckily I had brought over a few from Australia. I still have a ton at home. Um, with my parents but I have found my first ever John Thompson (laughs) book one and so I started piano when I was about five or six and and I learned all the way through with the teacher until I was about I think 16 or 17 kind of that last year of high school when it all kind of became a lot you know I had a part-time job I was studying for final exams trying to get into university that kind of thing so that's when I kind of stopped Learning formally with a teacher, but that was a good, I guess, 10 or 11 years of like proper piano studies with no breaks in between. And I learned a very classical style and route. You know, I did all the AMEB, like the Australian Music Board exams. Uh, and I mean, but you know, As far as I can remember, not once did I ever think that I would quit. I loved piano like the whole way through. I loved my piano teacher. And so, yeah, I think the way that she told me, even though, you know, for us now as teachers, there's a lot more, I would say a lot more things that we do. Like there's a lot of things I didn't get to learn that I kind of wish I had. And I didn't know that I was missing out on anything and, you know, no blame or nothing towards my piano teacher, because she taught me everything that I needed to know to the extent where, you know, and part of that lifelong thing is, it's kind of, okay, well, maybe we didn't get around to doing improv and maybe we didn't do chords and you know, whatever, but she taught me enough that I can teach myself that. And so that's kind of what I would love to be able to, to do for my students. You know, like there's only so much time in a lesson. So I'll teach you what I can, but ideally what I want to teach you is how to learn. I want to teach you how to learn and teach. So yeah, that was kind of where I started with piano. And then all throughout, everywhere I lived, I always either brought my piano with me or when I was in, for example, Switzerland for a year and a half, I just rented a piano for a year and a half. Like there was just no way that I could live without piano. And it's like, you know, I'm not like a maestro, and to be honest. It's only been like the past few years that I've really even got into classical I was always just playing for fun I love to play pop I love to play you know more kind of modern jazzy type stuff so yeah and I think that's also a nice thing that you don't get boxed in and it's like you like something now and you'll like something else later so yeah. That's beautiful
0: that you found that freedom in your playing and that you always wanted to have a piano in your house I think that says a lot. All the way through the AMAB the exams did you always practice consistently or were you like last minute crap?
1: You know, my parents always said, how did you pass your exams? You only practice like half an hour a day. But I don't know if that's true. And I actually can't remember how much practice I put in. I know there was like, when I was younger, there was definitely a kind of like a bit of a routine. It would be something I would do after school, before dinner, you know, before dad came home from work. That kind of thing. That was my practice time. And then on the weekends, I would always practice. But then I always had time on the weekend to play the other stuff, the non-exam pieces, stuff that I just picked up and wanted to play. So I guess I must have practiced with some diligence because there's no way you could get through. I don't think all your A and B exams without some regular practice. I don't think I did enough, and now I think back and I wish I could find my old piano teacher and say, "Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry, I <laughs> should." Oh yeah,
0: well, many of us feel like that, but I think if you really were doing half an hour a day. I know your parents were saying only, but I think a lot of us would be delighted actually if we had students that
1: consistently yeah.
0: practiced half an hour a day. Yeah, all the but time.
1: I think so. Yeah. So I, mean, I don't know, at the higher levels, I must have done more because even if you just play through your six pieces or whatever, that's half an hour. So I only play through each one once. <laughs> <That'd be>. Yeah, <laughs> But I think, yeah, I think I was regular enough. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah, sounds like it.
0: Mm. So you kind of covered this already in terms of what might have been included in your lessons. If you could just pick out one thing that you were that you could have been introduced to earlier, without blaming your teacher about it, of course. Yeah. What what would you love to have done earlier in your
1: would have loved to have done chords or improv, a hundred percent. My biggest thing that I still like struggle with is you know, you know in public spaces a lot of time, they just have these pianos now sitting around. And I think to myself, you know, teacher, I should be able to sit down and just jam, and I can't really do it, and I'm like really embarrassed by it. But it's like you know, I could like practice a piece of music for ages and then perform it really well, but to be able to just sit down and just randomly play something sounds beautiful. It's just not something that I'm very comfortable with, like I'm getting better at it just because it's something I work on because I teach my kids to do it. So I feel like I obviously need to get on top of it, but it is that. And I think, you know, I say kind of chords and improv, cause I feel like that kind of theoretical stuff goes hand in hand, right? If you kind of know the foundation, the basis, then you can improv and make it sound really good. So that is the one thing I would wish that I had included in my lessons. That would have been great to have and a great skill to have now. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Can you tell me where and when you got into teaching yourself? I usually say when and how, but where? At what point in your journey?
1: (laughs) Actually, maybe it kind of informs the story. I got into teaching in late 2017. So I guess it was about four years ago. So I'm still, to be honest, fairly new to it. I feel very new to it still. And I, what had happened was, was I actually spent my whole working career up until that point in the corporate world. So I'm actually a qualified um, accountant and I worked in consulting and HR and all of that for a good, good number of years. And that's what actually took me around the world to all those countries. It was like more is my corporate job. So I moved to Singapore with a company and I stayed here for a, like I was with them for a couple of years. And then it was kind of that moment of I couldn't stay in this kind of career forever but it gives me zero joy and no pleasure and it's just not really what I want and I've always actually wanted a more creative kind of artsy type of career but you know with my family and whatnot it really wasn't something they supported you know it was very much about get a secure job you know be safe and yeah that kind of thing but yeah I kind of had at that point in time saved up some money and I thought, you know what, I'm going to just take the plunge and do something different. And I didn't go into piano teaching. actually, I started my own business. I started a small business here in Singapore. Um, It's very niche. Uh, It's more kind of the crafty side of things. I was running um, like painting workshops for people to do and selling my own painted pots, like plant pots. It's very niche. (laughs) I was. I did that for like a good year or two, but you know, it was hard setting up a new business and it was something that required a lot of my time, but it was really difficult. And I thought, it's not taking up all my time right now. What else can I do to supplement my income? What other skills do I have? So I really went through like career books and kind of charted everything, all my experience, all everything I've ever done. And the one thing that a few things came up, but things that really I enjoyed, I enjoy teaching and I enjoyed the arts. So I thought, well, I know the piano. I feel pretty comfortable with it. It's something I've done my whole life. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to teach piano. (laughs) So I started out with one student and very luckily for me, you know, by word of mouth, things spread and I set up my website and it's kind of four years later and that one student is turning to about 24 and it's great. I love it. And there is no question in my mind that this is, what I want to do I'm no longer kind of floundering thinking oh what should I do this this I love and I would love to keep doing it for as long as I can
0: that's such an interesting story and actually kind of similar to my own in that I worked in fashion offices after completed a degree in fashion worked in fashion offices knew that wasn't quite right so I started my own bridal wear company that's when I became Ooh. self-employed So it was kind of similar in that I was doing something and then it wasn't quite paying the bills. So I was like, oh, I'll start teaching piano again. And then teaching just took over as it sounds like it did for you too.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I think it's so great because like if I had started as a piano teacher from the outset, I wouldn't have had a bunch of the skills that I picked up doing all my other jobs that I now am so thankful for. Mostly my accounting background, to be honest, that I can do my own books. You know, and that the consulting stuff that I did, I know how to deal with clients, writing policies, none of that, like to be honest, I love the admin side of things, I don't mind it. I I really like that kind of stuff. So yeah, I'm so thankful for all of my past experiences because I wouldn't be the business owner or the teacher I am now if it hadn't been for all of that. But I'm glad I don't, I mean, I struggle with a lot of things, but at least I don't have to struggle with that stuff, which I'm glad for. None of that experience is wasted. That's, that's
0: wonderful. Wow. So can you tell me about any student that's changed something about how you teach or perhaps about how you do
1: your business? Mm. Is anyone standard? You know, not any one specific student per se. I would say that there's I think I have a couple of students who are more difficult to they were more difficult for me to get a get a good handle on and like get the vibe going and For them, I have changed the way I teach just for them more so than for everybody else though. I guess what I learned from them, I try and apply across the board. This one, I guess one student in particular, she is very emotionally driven, I would say. And I actually read a book, I can't remember what it was, but when I read it, I thought, "Uh okay, it's a book about behaviors and how there's the green zone, the blue zone, red zone. I don't know if that i don't know something that might be if, um, no not one i'm familiar with i don't think. yeah so and i think like there was talking about how some kids when they're or when they behave have behaviors green is when they're great everything's going well everything's normal then you have i think when you have the red zone when it's like fight like they can't they're in that kind of brain area where they're not really engaging, or because they're in this kind of state. And then there's blue, I think, which is went shut down. And I experienced this once with her when I don't know what triggered her. Something I said, maybe something I asked her to do and she couldn't do it. And then she literally went to, to my couch and just curled up in a little ball and just wouldn't say anything for a good couple of minutes. And so I just let her be and then we kind of just had a chat and I think ultimately it was something else that had happened before the lesson and she was carrying around all of this stuff already and then something set her off and then you know and then what I learned from that really was that you know there are just going to be these moments you don't know what the students have walked in before the lesson what what they're coming from what they're carrying with them and sometimes they just Need a kind word or someone to listen or to just sit there and just like deal with what it is they have going on, and you can't rush that process, you know it's kind of and if they want to talk about it great, if not, then basically we kind of talked around it a little bit. I tried to get an understanding of how she was feeling, and then I left her alone for a little bit. I went to like play the piano or I did something, and then she just found her own way back to join me, so I think the thing that I learned a lot about that was. Yeah, you just you can't rush these things. And sometimes the emotion of whatever is going on for that student, it's really important at that time to give them that space. And part of it you know you think, okay, I'm wasting lesson time, and we're not really doing anything, I'm not learning anything, I'm not teaching. But goodness me, I mean, I really feel from actually at that point on with her, things changed. Like, and all of a sudden, I was like a trusted advisor in her life, kind of thing, and she knows that. If she's having trouble, like we can just have a chat and then carry on. So, that 10 minute, 15 minute break or investment in time where we weren't doing anything, goodness me, it, it's you were, I was doing something and yes. it helped a lot. So, yeah, I think that's yeah, what of are building worked. trust.
0: Which yeah. Is enormous.
1: Yeah. And I mean, you know, it's kind of um great that we were able to do that because. Some of A couple of my lessons with the younger kids, for example, parents sometimes sit in, but I find that this kind of thing, when there are the parents around, sometimes it doesn't allow for the space for that to happen. So, mm. you know, I'm kind of glad that we were able to build that trust.
0: Absolutely. It sounds like you handled that situation really, really well. Are there any things that you feel you haven't handled so well? Any mistakes you can look back on in your teaching career so
1: far? Where do I see? I would say with, with two things, with students and with parents, which really actually ends up being the same thing. I think I was just too nice at the beginning, you know, when you're starting out and I didn't know, I guess what was convention and what is expected. And I was just bending over backwards to be like flexible and, you know, nice. and oh yeah, whatever you guys want, you know. And it just sets such a bad precedent. And I just, so, not only so with the parents, I mean, you can imagine, you know, makeup lessons galore, refunds, you know, be, they take a two month holiday and then, oh, okay, cool, I'll give you two month makeup lessons, whatever. It's just ridiculous. Oh, I'm sorry, we forgot there was a lesson today. Can you, oh, oh I'm sorry, I'm running late. Can you make up the 15 minutes next week? Oh, yeah. So, oh, so I mean, you get taken advantage of, mm-hmm. really. And then, yeah, and then it's hard to then all of a sudden change and say, no, I can't do that anymore, you know, because yeah. you've already established that that is how things work. So that is one thing I no longer do with new intake. I will be honest, there are some of my original students that I had before I had sorted all my stuff out and I still struggle. Like it's a constant struggle to say, no. That's not how it's done or no, I can't do that because also it's just me, you know, like I don't have a big corporation that I can say, oh, that's not our policy. Oh, that's, you know, so it's they know it's coming from me personally. And when you have a personal relationship in a way as well, you see the parents week to week, for example, and you have that one-on-one conversation. It's so hard. So I said that would be the biggest mistake with parents and then with kids, kind of same thing. I was super nice to like the kids. Not that I'm not nice at <laughs> help but a little bit too flexible and a little bit of, you know, oh, okay, well, you like this and so let's just do that. And then there's a little bit of, I would say, for some of the earlier kids I taught, the, I didn't establish that teacher-student boundary or relationship well enough from the outset. So I would definitely do that. And I do do that now very differently with new students.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, it's a huge one. And as you said, it's so hard to then dial that back later. Like it is nearly impossible. I have heard of some people, not piano teachers, but other business owners who literally have a pretend assistant for this reason, like Amy. And Amy emails the parents. I'm so sorry. That's not our policy. You know, if you've got a question, don't hesitate to get in touch with me. I'm Amy. I'm the assistant here. Yeah, we all have our own solutions, but at least mm. you're doing it differently with with parents now, so hopefully yes. it will be better going forward. So that's yeah. great.
1: Yeah, yeah, and then you know what? I really whenever there are webinars or like teacher, you know, forums to so, like on VMT or like Top Music Pro, or whatever. And you know, even though I've heard it a million times, yeah, you know, like other teachers say no makeups and you just have to be firm and say no. So I listen to all of those, even though it's already in my, and I understand I need the validation and I need to know that, okay, yes, I can do it. So I it doesn't matter if I have to hear it a hundred times. I feel like at one day I will be able to do it very confidently.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, that's such a good point too. Like even hearing it just from different teachers saying the exact same thing helps you feel like people all over the place there's all these different people who do this and it is possible and yeah you can too
1: yeah and I will say it's I mean to be fair it's easier now than when I was a beginning teacher you know when you don't have a lot of students you just don't want to make anyone angry right yeah. you just want to do whatever you can and now I'm a little bit more comfortable then I'm like okay well this is actually how I need to and it's big it's easier to say to, to hold firm now because also I. This is my chosen part. Like this is my livelihood and I can't be giving out two months worth of lessons because someone's stuck overseas for two months. Like I need to pay rent. I yes. need to eat, you know? So, and I think that's what parents maybe sometimes, and I get it. There's a lot on it. Piano is a teeny tiny part of, you know, their child's life, but you know, they need yeah. to kind of understand that this is what I live off. So I'm not being mean when I say I can't do it. I could literally, if I want to be able to do this, you know, as my job, then yeah, some things have to give.
0: Yeah. You have to pay rent, you have to pay your bills, but also you have to stay in business as you know, <laughs> as an accountant or former yes. accountant, you have to stay in business and in order to be able to teach the students, which presumably
1: they want to keep you as your, their teacher. So yeah. It is for them too. Many times I've kind of been obviously like, just want to say, you know, I can't teach anymore. I have to, I I won't be able to teach your kids if if I don't stick to these policies. You might think, oh, I make an exception for me, but everyone wants an exception. And then what do I do? So, Yeah. yeah.
0: So if you could turn back time then and talk to yourself when you first started teaching, you took on that first student as a kind of side project alongside your painted flower pots. Well, what advice could you give yourself as a young teacher that you think might actually land? I
1: would say, even though you only have the one student now, pretend like you have a hundred. Just pretend and just set it all up. And you know what? I would have a... A, pri- a fake <laughs> imaginary <assistant>. secretary, <laughs> yeah, because you just have to get that right at the beginning and set it up the way. And take and take take yourself seriously, like for sure, this is not something you're just mucking around with. This is going to be your livelihood, so take it seriously and set it up as if you had a hundred students. And what would you do? And just always ask yourself, okay, if I have a hundred students, how would I how would I manage this situation? And just do it that way. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Is there anything you think people outside our industry misunderstand about what we do? And perhaps I think people might be curious whether you feel, I know you didn't teach in Australia, but you experienced piano in Australia versus Singapore. Is there any kind of different perception
1: there? I mean, I really I don't know what people think about music teachers per se, but I think there definitely is, I think there's a school of thought out there that Well, your job must be really easy, like, you rock up and you teach from, you teach after school hours four to seven, let's say, wow, you teach three hours a day, and the rest of the day is yours to, like, do whatever you want. Your life must be so cruisy. I think that's probably that because, oh, I mean, how hard is it? You pick up, you know, oh, you tell them to play C, and then you tell them to play D and put your fingers here, and that is, that's, that's your, that's a piano teacher. I don't think there's an understanding of the amount of work that actually goes into it I mean maybe some people teach that way I think that there are definitely there's music schools here which I I get a lot of kids transferring from piano schools and the thing that parents always tell me is because it's you know it's the one prescribed book they all do the one book and then the next book and it's a formula so I think maybe actually maybe the conception the precon the misconceived um, notion is maybe not so wrong because maybe some I think people do teach that way Mm. but then you know that's not how we all teach and my (laughs) my day is not cruisy at all I wish it was oh my gosh it was as easy as picking up a book and plonking in front of each student and just pointing and then they play well that would be easy but also very boring boring. yeah very boring so I think, yeah, that's probably the biggest one. And then in terms of parents and their expectation, again, two very different types of um, parents that I've come across. The what They're the ones who are wanting to, you know, put their kids through basically like what I did in Australia, exams, exams, exams every year. And that is the, you know, you're, you're learning piano if you're doing an exam every year. And then there's a, the parents that come to me and say, I want my kids to enjoy it so you know teach them so that they will love it and that's what I generally do you know I'm not big on the exams in the sense of if it if it's suitable and if it works for you then great Um, but it's not the be all and end all of of piano yeah 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 finally
0: then I want you to imagine a teacher out there who's stumbled across this podcast episode perhaps but otherwise maybe they're not as connected to other teachers as you are, and they're feeling like they're questioning all the time whether they're doing it right, whether they're running their business correctly, whether they're making the right decisions. Is there any advice you could share with
1: yeah, but maybe two pieces. I think when I first went into my, when I started my small business, the, not the piano teacher before, and I had, I actually did some, I went through um, some life coaching because it was a big change. And I remember so distinctly, cause I was saying to my coach, I don't think I can do this, I can't, you know, I'm not, I'm not experienced. I've never done it before. I don't know if I'm like, I'm not the best at it. And she said to me, you don't have to be the best. You don't even have to be averagely good. You know, all you need is to know more than the person who's paying you. And so I think about that a lot. And I would say that to teachers who are new or if you ever have, and I say it to myself too, we have those moments of doubt of like, I don't know how to do this. Or I didn't go to Juilliard and I didn't do a music degree. Doesn't matter. As long as you, do you know how to play the piano more than, the five-year-old who's coming to you. Do you know more than them? And if you do, then you can teach them. And whatever you're doing, the second piece of advice I would say is that there's no right way because if there was, all of us teachers out there would have to go to this right school and learn how to do things this one way and then dish it out this one way. And there is none. And that's the beauty of the arts, yeah? So I would say do what is right for you what feels right to you because you are your own business person doing this. And at the end of the day, when you are, you know, solo teacher, no one is giving you instructions and no one's going to fight for you. So you have to fight for yourself. So do what's right for you, but then also do what's right for your students. If you always put your students first and know what's good for them, then I think you can't go wrong. And you know what? We all make mistakes. If I look back and saw how I taught four years ago when I first started, I would do differently but you know that's how we we learn it's one of those professions where you learn by doing you learn through experience and you learn by connecting with other teachers so wherever you are right now and if you're feeling doubt and you know not confident about what you're doing I would say just push through it and you will be able to look back one day and think wow can't believe I did it
0: yeah absolutely we all have doubts and especially we all look back and say but that was the only way to learn So we just have to keep moving forward. Thank you so much for doing this interview. It's been
1: such a pleasure to speak with you and learn more about your story. Oh, it's been wonderful, Nicola. Thank you so much for the opportunity. And I hope it's helpful for other teachers out there. Oh, I'm sure it will be. Thanks again.
0: Thanks for listening. Do you love this show? then please share your favorite episode with a teacher friend who you think might enjoy it and benefit from it. If you resonated with today's story, then the Vibrant Music Teaching membership is probably a good fit for you too. Find out more at vibrantmusicteaching.com.